Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, August 11, 2015. And today we are reading from the Big Book and we are on page 154. We'll start with paragraph 2 for context and focus our first sharing on paragraph 3. Today's readers are The 12 Steps, Nadia B., the 12 Traditions, Rosalind C., and readers of the text today will be Rachel W. and Rick B. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, August 10, 2015, is 7903. 7903. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nadia B. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Nadia B., grateful recovering compulsive overeater in Connecticut. The 12 steps of OA. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continuing to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Nadia B. I will now ask Rosalind C. 
to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. Rosalyn C., Grateful Recovered from Ohio. The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service members, our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever remaining as us ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Rosalind C. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read and we are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book on page 154, paragraph 2 for context, focusing our share on paragraph 3. And I will ask Rachel W. to begin our study this morning. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Rachel W., recovered compulsive overeater calling from New York. 
Um, one dismal afternoon, he paced a hotel lobby wondering how his bill was to be paid. At one end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the lobby, a door opened into an attractive bar. He could see the gay crowd inside. In there, he would find companionship and release. Unless he took some drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance and would have a lonely weekend. Of course, he couldn't drink, but why not sit hopefully at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before him? After all, had he not been sober six months now, perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old insidious insanity, that first drink. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. Um, so much here, uh, so much here to talk about. But um, what's what's coming up for me, first of all, is how this program uh, changes the way we think. It changes the way we we can be, and um, and it gives us so many tools. Um, and it gives us a way out. And you know, here he is in, in his in his these desperate moments. He's got that feeling of isolation. You know, I, I relate to that so much. I know what that's like when I think that the entire world, you know, everybody else is having such a great time, and I'm the only one that's miserable. Um, but, but what's really hitting me is this: um, the, the words that first drink. You know, the old insidious, insidious insanity of that first drink. And I think that, you know, for me, um, a great blessing of being in this program is that I can actually visualize what that where that first drink will take me. You know, that it's it's not only going to be about that first drink. That um, and even by emphasizing, you know, using the words that first drink, you know, it's almost as if like it's sarcastic in a way. Like, yeah, right. That's not going to be the only one. You know, there'll be more and more. And um, and also the idea, you know, just a couple uh, few words later, where it says, you know, he turned away. I mean, that's probably the most important part of the paragraph. And how does that happen? You know, how does a person go from that isolation into someone who can actually turn away? And you know what i what i what i see here also is um someone who you know is you know ba- bottom line is it's not really about what we think or how we feel you know it's more about what we do and um and the idea that i you know i i can think that this one drink will will solve so many things but as long as i'm doing the actions and taking the actions of this program um then i know that i'll have that ability to turn away and and um and the idea that you know I, I don't have to do this alone is such a great comfort. So thank you so much for letting me share and of the, to be of service today. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel W. Who would like to comment on what was read today? Paragraph two. Charles H. from New York. Mary okay. K. Esther C. Janice M. Mary K. I did get you too, Mary Kay. Good morning. Let's go with that that uh, lineup for this morning right now. Charles H., Mary Kay, Esther C., and Janice M. Thank you. Hi, Charles. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Melody. It's Charles H., uh, recovered missionary just for today. Um, I want to drill down right where it says, um, with a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directly. Well, first of all, I want I, I want to thank I want to thank. Bill W for turning away. That's that's the first thing. Second thing I wanna I wanna thank I wanna thank I wanna thank my higher power for the church directly because you know, too many times, you know, I hear people actually bashing the tools. Um and you know what? Yeah, this tool right here, the church directory when he went in there, thank God for that outreach call. That I think that was one of the most important outreach calls in 12-step history. So 
You know, I do that today, 80 years later. You know, and I'm not saying it's to brag or nothing. This is not me. This is program, right? Like, I took two people through the doctor's opinion yesterday, another person through, through Bill's story. And, you know, we keep doing that, man, because I remember, right, with a shiver, those two examples in the doctor's opinion. You know, the good news is when the first guy said he, he, he accepted the, pro, the, the program, right, and the other guy that was in the barn that I identified with that guy being in the barn, hopeless, ready to kill myself with food, he was sold. <laughs> he was sold on the ideas in his book. So, you know, you know, good things happen, you know, after that shiver. You know, after that shiver and that church directory calling people, 80 years later, with a shiver, every day I wake up, you know, I don't think I'm too recovered that I, I can't relapse. So with a shiver, all thin ice because of the mental obsession, you know, just for today, right, I make phone calls. It may not be a church directory, but it's Charles' directory. And with that, I'm going to pass. Let me get out of this rain. Thank you, Melanie C., for your service. Team Tuesday represents. Thank you, Charles H. Mary Kay, you're next. Star one, Mary Kay. Sorry, yes, this is Mary Kay. I'm, this is Mary Kay. I'm sorry. The uh, I was unmuted and then it remuted me, and I didn't know. Um, anyway, good morning. My name is Mary Kay. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, and actually, I'm fairly new to the the program and very new to the Big Book. Um, the um, working through the steps with my sponsor, but in this paragraph. So this is the first time I've read this, and it just spoke to me, and I felt I should speak up um, and just share how how the big book is connected with somebody very new on a very personal level. Uh, it's a sentence, he was on thin ice. And in the job that took me into my retirement, it was a very, very stressful situation, and and I called, I, my attorney was on speed dial, and I called him and I said, Dennis, I'm on thin ice. And he said, uh, he says, well, Mary Kay, spring is coming. And you're going to have to learn learn to walk on water now. And of course, I didn't get past me his reference because because his faith path was different than mine. But I knew the faith path that I knew from my from my my faith. And and I know that that when I take God's hand willingly, um, I can walk on water. And and that's what I need to keep in mind with this with this journey. With, with my compulsion for overeating, that he's with me every day. And um, when I'm on thin white ice, he will take my hand, and I can walk on water with him. And thank you for letting me share, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Mary Kay. Esther C.? Good morning. Thank you, Melanie. My name is Esther C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. You know, this story that they're recounting of Bill's is a is a really good description of what it means to be recovered, what changes for us when we recover, and that is the insanity of the disease. What's the insanity of the disease? It's, it's not that if I eat one Oreo, I'm going to want the whole bag. No, that's the allergy, and that's something that I will never be able to control. I'll never be able to control my reaction to my binge food. But the insanity of the disease is when we're abstinent, 
here, um, we're getting a description of Bill. He's sober. He's sober six months. And then under normal circumstances, when we're not recovered and we're sober, and there are a thousand reasons why we shouldn't pick up, and we know we're not meant to, and we don't even want to, and then one crazy little idea seeps into our mind, and that insane idea has the power to break down that entire wall of good reasons why we shouldn't pick up again. It says it here now. It says it here in this paragraph. Three drinks, no more. That's this crazy idea um, that, that had the power to erase everything that he knew about his disease. So what's different is that once we are recovered, we have access to a power who's going to solve this problem for us. It doesn't It doesn't really say what it was that that changed his mind, but all I can tell you is that this is the same thing that I experienced, is that on, before recovery, I was not able to stay sober because the insane ideas always won out. But once one is recovered now, they have access to a power. That is the power that keeps me sober. That's the power that keeps you know, that keeps that mental obsession in its place, um, you know, non-existent for me. So, um, you know, this recanting of, of, of Bill's story is is is, is a well-placed here in, um, in a vision for you because it's, you know, backing us up and showing us, you know, the seeds of, of the program of recovery and what changed for him and, and how this, you know, pivotal moment, you know, as, as was mentioned in a couple of shares ago, this this is what changed, this is what began um, AA history, that moment where the insanity, you know, started to rear its ugly head and somehow he had uh, access to a power and he was able to turn around and head to that telephone directory. Thanks for letting me share with that all pass. Thank you, Esther C. Janice M. Well, good morning. Good morning, Melanie and everyone. My name is Janice. I'm, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I wish I went after um, before Esther because I was going to say the same thing. But anyway, of course he couldn't drink. Of course means to me, naturally he couldn't drink. How does he know that? How does he know he couldn't drink? Well, he knows who he is. He knows. He experienced. He, he's convinced that he's an alcoholic. I'm a compulsive overeater. If I'm not convinced, all these little sidetracks that come into my life, you know, if I'm not recovered, will, will, will tempt me. You know, I still have the desire. I'll always be a compulsive overeater. But because, because of God, my, whom is my higher power, he's given me the power of choice. That's how I can choose. Before, remember, lack of power was my problem. Now, now he has that power of choice, you know, because he's what? He's been restored, restored to sanity. I think differently today. I behave differently because of my thoughts. So, you know, he's like on a, on a, on a seesaw. Well, yeah, or maybe just a couple, you know, how we talk to ourselves, how the lie of the disease creeps in sideways and says, you know, I've been... I've been abstinent for, or I've been recovered, you know, for X amount of years. Well, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, I, I just have one day. I have one day. So I'm, I'm in a slippery place because I'm a human being. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater, and life still goes on, you know. But today, you know, if I do have the desire, I do recoil. I know I can make a call. I know I can, you know, ask my higher power right away, please keep me from that first bite. You know, because it's not the third bite, it's not the fourth bite, it's the first bite. So I do recoil. I do recoil. And especially when life doesn't go my way, I'll be more tempted because now I'm looking for comfort. 
So with a shiver, with a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church direction. Because his thinking was different, his action proved otherwise. I had the same experience of being in that, you know, there's a big set of stairs at that at uh, where he was, and on the left coming down the stairs was the, the gay chatter, and the other was, a, you know, a, a coin telephone. And um, he had to make a split decision, you know, at that time. But God did it for him, because this is God's vision, not Bill's vision. It's God's vision that gave Bill the power to, to make that telephone call. It's a beautiful, beautiful paragraph. He had a choice. He could make a choice. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Who else would like to comment on what was read this morning, paragraph three? Kim G. Hi, Kim. Judith R. Miriam in New Jersey. I hear Judith. Leia. I hear Miriam. Asa O. Rakissa from California. Let's stop with that for right now. Let me see what I have. Kim G. Judith R, Miriam, I didn't catch your last initial, Leah M, Vasa O, Rakefet. I did get a few of those out of order. I apologize. Good morning, Kim G. Oh, thank you, Melanie. I forgot to set my timer. Let me set the timer. Okay. Um, my name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Perhaps you could handle, say, three drinks, no more. The insidious insanity of that first drink. You know, I think this is, is so essential that we understand the difference between being recovered and just being abstinent. Because really, I walked into Overeaters Anonymous and many years in Overeaters Anonymous and thought that food and weight was my problem. And the fact was, I got abstinence hundreds of times. And if, if food was my problem, then abstinence would have cured it. If my weight was my problem, there were dozens of times I got down to goal weight, and that would have solved my problem. That wasn't my problem. It was the thinking that we're seeing here that Bill has, the insidious insanity of the first drink, three drinks no more. I mean, my thing was always, it's only 300 calories. I can afford 300 calories because I didn't understand the allergy to the extent that, yes, 300 calories wouldn't be a problem. Yes, three drinks wouldn't be a problem. But because of the allergy, I am incapable of having 300 calories. I am incapable of having three drinks. And the fact that my mind cannot retain that information is the reason I come to Overeaters Anonymous. If it simply was the allergy, then you can isolate me alone and I wouldn't, until the allergy is not being triggered, and have a rational conversation with me to tell me that I should not eat those foods at all and I would no longer need a 12-step program. So for years, I thought recovery in Overeaters Anonymous was abstinence. You know, I personally would love, we often identify ourselves as how long we've been abstinent. I would love for people to identify what step they're on, because if recovery is the 12 steps, wouldn't it be exciting to hear someone in a meeting say, hi, my name is Kim, I just completed my fifth step, I just did my first amends, I just took on my first sponsee, because recovery has to do with the steps. If we are abstinent only, we are at the mercy of the biggest part of our disease, which is the obsession of the mind. I'm going to read on page 23. It says, these observations, what is that? The observations of Bill just being sober, and that's it. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. 
Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. That is where recovery is. Recovery is in the steps. And for myself personally, I really identify in with page 30 in, the, in more about alcoholism, is I would say I'm relapsed and recovering, relapsed and recovering, when the reality was I was going on a diet or off a diet, on a diet or off a diet. And the periods of control were becoming shorter and the periods of relapse were becoming longer. So it wasn't about relapse and recovery. It was about the progression of my illness. And if I don't treat the illness of the mind, I'm going to be destined to go back to the food over and over and over. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Judith R., you're next. Hi, Melanie. Thank you for your service. This is Judith R. in Vermont, recovered compulsive overeater. Of course he couldn't drink, but why not sit hopefully at a table a bottle of ginger ale before him. Oh, so nice and innocent. What a good idea. After all, had he not been sober six months now? Ah, that's true. I have some self-confidence now. Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks. No more. That was the tipping point. Thank God his mind, his disease went that far because that woke him up. You know, sitting there at the table, hopefully with a bottle of ginger ale before him, nothing wrong with that after he'd been, after we've been recovered a sufficient amount of time, we can do that. But that day, he realized if he's thinking he could handle three drinks, then he has no business going into that bar. I remember when I used to have the two cookie rule. Who in the world needs a, a rule about cookies if you don't have the obsession, which I had? Of course, I also had the compulsion, the physical and the mental. So I am so grateful that Bill's disease overplayed its hand and he heard what was going on in his mind and then he knew, okay, I can't do that. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Judith R. Miriam, you're next. Would you offer the first initial of your last name, please? This is Miriam L. Um, thanks. Um, in recovery today from compulsive overeating. I love this section. Um, the image that I get is the part where he's got two two roads he can go on, uh, go in. Uh, at one end of the room stood a glass-covered directory, and then down the lobby a door opened to an attractive bar. So those are his two choices. I see it's like the road. The road, there's a fork, and which way am I going to go? And this... This reminds me of when I was early in recovery and I would be driving and I would decide, am I going to go to the right to the place where I used to binge all the time or do I go to the left to the meeting? And, um, you know, and then again, when he's, when the disease has got him and he's looking and he's thinking about, you know, well, maybe I can take a few drinks or no more. And then the higher power comes in. And this is what is amazing to me that that at this point, after going through these steps, I have been restored to sanity. So that when a crazy thought comes in, the higher power comes in right after it. But this is really showing, to me, what this section shows is the craziness of the mind. This is where my mind can take me if I'm not continuing to, you know, work these steps. And then he takes the right, you know, he makes the right choice and he goes and, and he works with another. And then he, can, you know, continues and thank God for that because now we have our program. Thank you. 
Uh, thank you, Miriam L. Leah M. Thanks so much, Melanie. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but certainly <laughs> makes me feel a lot of gratitude this morning that this occurred in our history. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. Um, and it's certainly a wonderful illustration that, um, you know, of the results of this spiritual experience that Bill had. Um, yes, you know, he's gripped with the fear of a, of a relapse at this point. That That's true. He, you know, the thought is coming up to him. He realizes he's on thin ice. Uh, he realizes it's that old insidious insanity, that first drink. However, that being said, uh, with a shiver, he turns away. And that's exactly what the program of recovery allows us. You know, if we look in our text, Prior to the program of recovery, prior to the transformation, we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. That's, that's a description of our minds prior to this transforming uh, process of the steps. However, uh, one's having gone through the steps, and Bill's experience was a spiritual experience. It was sudden, but the, listen to the results. You know, for by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, which Bill is experiencing right here, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. And that's exactly what is happening here. Bill is no longer subject to being hijacked by the obsession of the mind. Did the thought come up? Yes. Is it appealing, the little chattering and tingling of glasses, you know, in the in the bar? Yeah, yeah, there's some association there. Yes, he has a little bit of the euphoric recall going on. However, his mind is no longer suffering from an obsession. This one idea that's entering his consciousness is not dominating it in such a way that all other ideas are shoved aside. No, he is able to see the truth about his disability, and that's exactly what the program of recovery uh, gives us. What if we can find a way to live where our minds don't lock on that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking that first bite? And that process that Bill has here is called recovery, and that's what this is all about, implementing the steps to be recovered and to have this state of mind. God has done for Bill what he could not do for himself. He feels a strength and a power that he did not have, that did not exist when he was trying to uh, fight alcohol on his own. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Vasa O. Yes, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. And I am grateful recover compulsive reader calling from Massachusetts. And this is really a good paragraph for me to also see. After all, he had not been sober six months now. Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear grips, grips me, grips, gripped him. And I know when I became um, abstinent at the beginning, and I remember feeling like that, you know, when I was working with the food or going out to restaurants or whatever, I remember being paralyzed with the fear that one thing, one more thing 
I wouldn't even take one more thing. I wouldn't even entertain the thought. I did at the beginning, but I remember recoiling like from a flame when I would be cooking, not to even lick my finger in the, you know, whatever I was doing. And thank you, God. That came from God, from my higher power, which I call God today. And uh, the consciousness started setting in. I couldn't go back. You know, I know the experience with, with the food addiction that I had over the years, you know. So one thing was not going to solve my problem, so why bother? And, um, yeah, and I'm just so grateful. I don't have to entertain the thought anymore. It, I don't even think. I don't think about it. I don't want it back. And um, I'm so grateful that um, that's the end to my story. No more food. Again, it's God and my program and the big book and the support of the people in here. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Rakefet Z. Rakefet Z, star one. Well, while we're waiting for Rakefet Z, I would like to make an, another invitation for those who would like to share on this paragraph. Sally? Hi, Sally. Anyone else? Reva B. Naomi B. Mary B. Okay, no hand here if you want me to share. Yes, I do. This, just let me give a real brief rundown of the sure. next no lineup that I have, and I'll have you go right away. Uh, Sally A, Nessa R, <clears throat> pardon me, Neva P, Naomi B, and Mary B would be the next lineup right after Rakefet. Good morning, Rakefet. Glad you're back. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you. I had technical problems. My name is Rakefet Z, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in California. And when I read this, that he turned away, I get a shiver. A shiver goes down my spine, that he turned away. That is a miracle. That is totally a miracle. That's something he couldn't do before. And I experience the same thing. I, have, I experience it over and over again, many times. And what comes to mind, first and foremost, is going grocery shopping. You know, I'm coming up to pay for my groceries, and I'm, I can see what's going on, right? There's a conveyor belt conveyor belt on the left where you put your groceries. On the right, there's a whole rack of snack food. And also on the left, above the conveyor belt, there's snack food. And everything is looks so dazzling. You know, the shiny wrappers, the the um all different colors. It just looks so inviting. It looks like so much fun. Oh my gosh, I could just, you know, um stand there and eat those things forever. And when I get to the counter, I cannot afford to look at those. And even if I do look at them, I take my, by accident, glance at some of those, I turn away. And turning away from me is a miracle. When I was abstinent but not recovered, I wouldn't turn away. I wouldn't eat it, but I wouldn't turn away. I'd look at that and study the snack, the snack, um, the snacks until it was my turn to check out. I would check them all out. Do they have king size or regular size? Do they have buy one, get one free or not? Do they have my favorites? 
or don't. And if I were to eat, how many would I buy of this and that? You know, I mean, on and on and on. And this was when I was abstinent. I couldn't turn away. I couldn't turn away when I was abstinent but not recovered. And today the miracle is that God speaks to me and says, there's nothing there for you. Turn away. There's no need for you to even look at it. And that's really important for me because I know that even when I look at it and start studying it and contemplating it, that will enter my subconscious. It's not going to make me eat right then probably, but it will enter my subconscious and who knows, you know, um, down the line, I might eat because of because of the fantasy of how good that tastes. So um, I am just so grateful. I'm so great. I couldn't do that myself, and I know that God is doing that for me every time I turn away. Um, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rakefet Z. Sally A. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you, and good morning. A vision for you at Sally A. A recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. Um, so I I just wanted to say that and so many great things have been said already about this paragraph, um, but I wanted to just tie it together with the previous paragraph and see that the picture that it paints here, how Bill was uh, at the very first sentence of that previous sentence, he says the per- previous paragraph, one dismal afternoon he paced a hotel lobby wondering how he was his bill was to be paid. So I identify with these two paragraphs painting a picture of He's in fear about how he's going to paint his bill. We come down the, the paragraph. He's now in the midst of this gay crowd. He, so he's recognizing in his mind this. Uh, he's put himself in a place where, where he recognizes this um, environment of gaiety that's associated with his previous behavior of, uh, of drinking. In there, he would find companionship because he's this guy is in isolation he's alone in a faraway place he's in right now he's realizing i could be out of the isolation i could have the companionship of the gayness and i can have the release from the bondage of being alone which is what he's experiencing and now we come to this paragraph of course he couldn't drink he's got that in his head he knows in his head i can't drink this is not a choice for me but in his heart, it's an old friend that he's so used to. And why not sit hopefully at a table? Maybe I could just have a bottle of ginger ale. And here's the part that I really identify with. After all, hadn't I been a good girl? Had he not been sober for six months? Don't I deserve, deserve this release that I desperately need right now? I'm alone I've been isolating here in this place alone. I'm scared. How am I going to pay my bills? Um, Things didn't go as well as I expected. After all, don't I deserve? Have you not been sober for six months? This is what got me into the food so many times. I had seven months, eight months, so many times. You know, people say, I can stop. I just couldn't stay stopped. I so identify with that. Perhaps he could handle, say, Three drinks, and there it goes. There comes the lie. Here come the excuses. Here comes Sally, um, the the mafiosa queen, trying to figure out what can I get away with? What can I possibly do? And there it is in the head, in the sickness of his head. Boom. Stop. Fear grips him. He's awake. He realizes I'm on thin ice. The ice is cracking. And now what's he going to do? Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally A. 
Nessa R., you're next. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto. Um, the, the, the sentence with a shiver she turned away um, speaks to me volumes about how to work step one. Um, you know, I've seen or heard a lot in the room um, of powerlessness as an excuse to eat. Oh, why can't I stop? Oh, because I'm powerless. Oh, why, can I, why can't I stay away? Why do I keep eating? Why do I do this? Because I'm powerless. But, you know, I think in recovery, powerless or the, the admission of powerlessness means something completely different. You know, somebody who's allergic to peanuts and has an anaphylactic reaction and is powerless over that anaphylactic reaction will say, I am powerless to prevent this, so I'm not going to touch the peanuts. Uh, when we see an open flame, we know that if, we, if I put my hand in it, I am powerless over the flame burning me, so I'm not putting my hand in it. And so if I know that, you know, going into the cheesecake is going to burn me, then I just don't put my hand into the, uh, into the cheesecake because I am powerless. You know, admission of powerlessness is a reason not to eat not an excuse to continue doing what I've been doing uh, because if I keep doing what I've been doing, I'm going to keep getting what I've been getting. Something's got to change. And I think that that's what Bill is showing us here, you know, what powerlessness truly means. You know, fear gripped him. He realized, you know, he consciously said, I am powerless. I know what's going to happen if I take one drink. You know, I'm already thinking about three, three drinks. I'm not even thinking one drink. I'm thinking three. You know, it's not going to end. I'm powerless. You know, he knew that it wasn't going to be one drink. He started at three. It's not going to be three drinks. You know, who knows how many drinks he's going to have. He's powerless. So with a shiver, he turned away. You know, he recoiled as if from a hot flame because he knew he's powerless. And so, you know, this is, this is the lesson that I take with me. If I am powerless over something, I stay away. I don't, it's not an invitation to battle it. I stay away because I know that I'm going to lose. Um, you know, Nesta versus a cheesecake, the cheesecake will win every single time. So I'm powerless, I stay away. With a shiver, he turned away, and this is, this is step one to me at its best. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Reva P. Good morning. This is Reva P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. Uh, what this paragraph reminds me is um, when, when I stand at the turning point, I do it differently now. What used to happen when I was at that turning point uh, was I didn't even know it was a turning point. I didn't know what was going on in my head. It was all a big reflex. Um, it was not in slow motion at all where I could think about, oh, I was just worried about a bill and now the food looks really attractive. It was pure reflex reacting. The solution was pick up and I didn't really know what was going on in my thinking. And the difference here and what Bill does is um, he stands at the turning point and he has that divine pause where he's aware of what he's thinking. Um, and that was what recovery 
um, began to give me to slow things down. Oh, I'm thinking I can have three drinks. Oh, I'm fearful about a bill. And my next right fantastic thought is, what's the solution to fear over my bills? I think I'll have a few drinks. Um, So this reminds me, when I stand at the turning point, I don't do what I did before, which is either A, beg without action, which means I'm just begging, begging, please God help me, but I'm not taking any action, Um, or um, take action and don't think about God, which is really my willfulness. And here, because he's worked through the steps, Um, and he's had a spiritual awakening, he's able to pause, ask, um, and he asks for his higher power's care and protection. So as he takes the action, he's safe and protected. Um, And that reminds me, yesterday my husband told me something about his job. I was scared. The food would have been a great solution, but instead I called somebody, realized the fear was what was driving um, my thinking, dealt with it, done, went on with my day. Um, And I could not in a million years have done that without going through the steps, developing a relationship with a higher power, and action and prayer together, not one or the other. Uh, That's all I have to share, and I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Naomi B. Hi, good morning, Melanie. Can you hear me okay? Hi, yes, good morning. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Good morning, visionaries. Well, I don't know. I don't know how to follow that, but you know, it, I can just relate relate my own story. With a shiver, he turned away, and I see that's what it is with my with my life: the powerlessness, being totally defenseless without power. And as we hear so beautifully, day after day, on this phone line. We have two choices, choose door number one or choice, choose door number two, life or death. And I remember at that point, I had just become abstinent. I wasn't recovered. I just I was so new in the program, but I was abstinent and I had the food down. And and that happened on a Monday, and here it was Wednesday, and I had finished working, and I hadn't eaten dinner, and I was at the street. I could make a right. I could make a right and go home. And I had my absent dinner, or I could make a left and go over my binge food. And I chose the right turn, and it really was the right turn for me, and I went home. But the other thing that's riddled in here is the fear of economic insecurity. That's gone. That is absolutely gone. Just for today, when something comes up that is going to be, oh, we're having to pay for this bill. I just let God go before me. And this is what Bill was was thinking about. How is he going to pay his hotel room? And then all of a sudden he he sought out that ease and comfort that he knew that a few drinks would take, three drinks would cover him. Well, three drinks would never have covered me. If it wasn't the entire bag or box or wrapper, it would never have been enough. But thank you, God, that's not the case today. Thank you, God, I turned to him first. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. Mary B. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you everyone who shared this morning. I'm sitting here listening and saying, me too, me too, me too. 
But I just wanted to um, jump in and share that uh, a few years ago, four or five years ago, my husband and I were on a road trip to Ohio. And on the way home, I had a brief stop in Akron. And uh, we visited Dr. Bob's house and the Mayflower Hotel, which is not a hotel anymore, but we were able to get in and and I, too, stood on uh, on those stairs and a beautiful stairway. It's a very well-maintained old, old building. And I looked at the doors that must have been the entry to the bar and just turn your head a little bit to the left and there's the telephone booth. Uh, the telephone's on the wall now. Anyway, I, I just went through that moment that Bill had of making that choice. And as we read this paragraph, and it says, with a shiver, and for me, at that moment of insanity, when I'm thinking of picking up what I call my 100-pound bite, that shiver for me is when that movie plays in my head. There's a very quick movie that plays all the way from that 100-pound bite to the 250-pound Mary and all of the disgust and the feelings and the self-hate and the, the miserable life that it produces for me plays out very quickly. And I only get that movie because I am reminded of what it was like all the time you are reminding me this morning over and over again. And I don't want that life. And only because I keep coming back, only because I keep working this program, can I make that that choice and say, I know exactly where that first bite will take me. Thank you. Thank you all and thanks to my higher power. I can be recovered one more day. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Mary B. Time will allow for two additional people to share to take us to the end of the meeting. Who would like to comment on what was read? Deanna B. Hi, Deanna. Marcella. And Marcella. Okay, Suzanne, thank you so much. Suzanne K. Hi, Leanne. Suzanne K. We'll take the rest of you and Leanne um, the next hour. Please, we'll start with Deanna and then Marcel. That will take us to the end. And please stay with us for the others to share. Hi, Deanna B. Hi, Melanie. Thank you for your service. And my name is Deanna B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive eater. And everything here just reminds me of the gratitude I feel, just like everyone has said. And... Somebody in, in their sharing said about the financial insecurity, and it's really interesting to me. Well, not interesting. That's the way it works. Yesterday morning, I was sitting waiting for testing, pre-op testing, and this nice, young, pregnant woman in the registration came and told me, this is not covered, this is not covered, this is not covered, this is not covered. Immediately, what happens to me when I get in fear, is the tears go to my eyes. And I'm sure I was a little anxious anyway. 
And then I kept saying, your will, not mine, God. Your will, not mine. And uh, I got this little voice, just sign. <laughs> you need the surgery. Just sign, God. It will, it will be taken care of one way or another. I didn't think to myself, oh, I'm not going to have to pay this or it's going to be covered or anything like that. And when I, you know, I got down the line and I was at my last testing, which was the phlebotomist. She said, number one, the registration person should not have said anything to you. Number two, call the surgeon's office. And by this time, I had not been thinking about it anymore. And that's only God. That's only God. And while I was sitting there waiting to be called, I started again to get a little anxious, just getting anxious. And there's about six people sitting there waiting also, and they're complaining and I'm thinking to myself, how grateful I am. And so I stopped my anxiety. So God is really taking care of me. And I did call the surgeon's office. And she said, when you send it in, they see surgery, it'll be covered. And that was the last I thought of it. If I need to pay, I need to pay. The other thing is that I also went into the grocery store. And lately, um Every once in a while, I go through the gluten-free products and I see the English muffins. And I said, gee, that would be nice. My next thought was, well, why would you get that? What are you going to put on it? And, uh, and I say, thank you, God, and walk away. And I did that yesterday, too, and I'm talking that up to a little anxiety also. But the thing is, yes, we always get the thoughts. But we can turn away like Bill did and just walk away. And the last thing is, if I don't have a reason to go to a bar, I don't go. If I have a reason with a group of people to hear some music, I will go. But there is no reason in the world for me to go into a buffet by myself or a bar by myself. I, you know, that's not something that I know that I can do. And so just for today, I am just so grateful to be here and to be abstinent and that I'm freed from myself, the bondage of myself going into this. Thank you so much, all of you, for your prayers and good wishes. And I'll pass. Thank you, Deanna B. Marcella M. Um, good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everybody. Marcella, and recovered composer eater in Boston. Oh, how much I love this story! I know, I know how it ends, and I never get bored of it. So, what really gets me, time and time again, what gets me, is that Bill, when he feels a temptation and when he feels alcohol calling him, he doesn't run up to his room to kneel and pray. He doesn't go to write a fourth step or to revise his list of resentments and fears. And he doesn't go to make a, an on-the-spot inventory to write four columns and see where he has been selfish, so sick, and dishonest, or fearful. He does nothing of that. He runs to find another one. And, and there's no meaning. There's no Alcoholics Anonymous yet. There's nothing. There's just a theory. He knows the physical allergy from Dr. Silkworth, and he knows that the... the, the the process of working with others, just by trial and error, it's, it's, everything's blind, everything's like blind faith. 
he has had his white spiritual experience, but there's still no fellowship. There's still nobody. And his instinct, his immediate reaction was, go find another. He doesn't go and run to God. Or maybe he does in the form of other people in need. That was at work. That, that's exactly my turning point. The second that, I, that when I felt the food calling me, the second that I stopped my morbid reflection and go back to my step work saying, where did I do wrong? Where's the fault in my step one, step two, step three, step four, step five? What resentment am I missing? When I stopped my morbid reflection and I ran to try, try to help others, that's the second that it was granted to me. And it has lasted for four years and five blessed months. And I just, it's just awesome. There's a, to me, there's just like there's a continuum of time and space, and there's no knife in which you can cut time and space. There's no knife that can divide my God slash fellowship, because the answer is always in the fellowship under the care of one God and with others. Thank you, Marcella M., and thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Rick B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you. Uh, My name is Rick B., recovered in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do for each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.